0: Because man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God, please take your Bible and open it to the book of Isaiah. Open it to the book of Isaiah. We are going to look at Isaiah, just go right to Isaiah 1. Isaiah chapter 1. What page number is it? 600. 600, Page 600. I'll read 1 through um, 15. Isaiah 1, beginning verse 1, all the way to verse 15. The vision concerning Judah and Jerusalem that Isaiah son of Amos saw... During the reigns of kings Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah of Judah. Listen, heavens, and pay attention, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have raised children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's feeding trough, but Israel does not know. My people do not understand. O sinful nation, people weighed down with iniquity, brood of evildoers, depraved children. They have abandoned the Lord Yahweh. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They have turned their backs on Him. Why do you want more beatings? Why do you keep on rebelling? The whole head is hurt. The whole heart is sick. From the sole of the foot even to the head, not, no spot is uninjured, wounds, welts, and festering sores, not cleansed, bandaged, or soothed with oil. Your land is desolate. Your cities are burned down. Foreigners, devour your fields right in front of you. A desolation like a place demolished by foreigners. Daughter Zion is abandoned like a shelter in a vineyard, like a shack in a cucumber field, like a besieged city. If Yahweh of armies had not left us a few survivors, we would be like Sodom. We would resemble Gomorrah. Hear the word of Yahweh, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are all your sacrifices to me? Asks the Lord Yahweh. I've had enough of burnt offerings and rams, and the fat of cattle well-fed. I have no desire for the blood of bulls, lambs, or male goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires this from you? This trampling of my courts... Stop bringing useless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons and Sabbaths and the calling of solemn assemblies. I cannot stand iniquity with a festival. I hate your new moons and prescribed festivals. They have become a burden to me. I am tired of putting up with them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I will refuse to look at you. Even if you offer countless prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the word of Isaiah, the whole message of Isaiah. And as we look to it now, Lord, we know we need your help every Sunday. But this Sunday, I feel it more than typical. As we go through 66 books of this wonderful, glorious, large message, it is impossible really to do justice to it in one hour. But Lord, we pray that you'd give us help, that you'd give us strength, that you'd give us enough handles on the book of Isaiah to hear what you're saying, what you were saying through Isaiah to to the kings of Judah during his day and to those who are reading his book. And we pray that you'd help us understand what you're saying to us now here at Bethany Baptist Church in 2022. Convict us, rebuke us, correct us, teach us, and train us in righteousness. Give us life in your ways. Apart from you, we can do nothing. So help us, we pray. Speak a powerful word to us as a church family, to our guests here, and to us as individuals. By your Holy Spirit's power. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All Adam ever wanted was to be happy and flourish. That's what Eve wanted too. They're in the garden flourishing, naked without any shame, a paradise around them, and all they ever wanted was to be happy. So here they are in the Garden of Eden, and they were called to multiply their seed, their offspring, to fill the earth with God's glory, with people who bear the image of God covering the whole earth. Then the serpent came. Satan enters the garden and asks them a few questions. Do you really believe that God wants you to be happy with eating without, with you not being able to eat this fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? The serpent comes and asks questions and puts pressure on their minds for them to eat the only fruit that is forbidden. All the other fruit is available to them. The one forbidden fruit. Is the one he puts pressure on them to consider eating. Pressure. How would they handle it? Where would they look? To whom would they turn? Well, they start to doubt God's goodness and believe that there was a better way than God's way. There was a more reliable way. There was a happier way to flourish. So they take the fruit, the forbidden fruit, they eat it, and God says, the day you eat of that fruit, you will what? Surely die. Surely die. certainly die. They ate the fruit and they were exiled, banished from God's place, the Garden of Eden. Because of the pressure put on them by Satan. Pressure tests our character because it presses us and pushes us to, to figure out what we finally hope in. When we put pressure, certain hopes fall away, certain supports give way, and then you're looking for other supports. You're looking for another way to survive, another way to stand, another way to go on. And so pressure reveals what we hope in, who we trust in, what we trust in to withstand and deliver us from this pressure. So I want to ask you a question this morning about your own life. What pressures are on your shoulders in this season of your life? What pressures do you see coming in the next season or two of your life if God doesn't take you? And he might take you since life is a vapor. Pressure. How will you handle it? Where will you look? To whom will you turn to? To whom will you turn? Now we're studying the book of Isaiah, and Isaiah ministered from at least the year that King Uzziah died, which is 739 BC, all the way to King Hezekiah's reign, 701 BC. So at least for these 40 years, um, um, Isaiah has a ministry to the different kings of Judah and to the people of Judah and sometimes to Israel as well. Now, during this time in the 700s uh, B.C., Israel and Judah were divided. They were not one nation anymore. There were ten tribes to the north, the nation of Israel, two tribes in the south, the nation of Judah, where Jerusalem is. And Isaiah is ministering in Judah to the kings of Judah from Jerusalem. So they're divided, but they still cared for each other, but sometimes they fought with each other. And there was a looming threat On the horizon, a nation that was gobbling up other nations and conquering. This nation was called Assyria. Assyria. Okay. Now Assyria was coming through and conquering nations and you could feel Assyria breathing down the neck of Israel and Judah. They're coming. The pressure is coming. What are they going to do? So, so Isaiah prophesied about the coming invasion. He said, hey guys, you're sinful, you're doomed. Israel, the northern, northern kingdom, you guys are doomed. The south, you have a chance. But Israel, the northern kingdom, you guys are doomed. God, we have been sinning against God for hundreds of years. Since Solomon in, in 1,000, we split after Solomon died. Just like Adam disobeyed God in the garden and got kicked out, God threatened that we would get kicked out if we disobeyed God. You guys, we have disobeyed God. There's no hope for Israel anymore. You guys are out. That's Isaiah's ministry. Invasion is coming. You're sinning. Judgment is coming to both nations. Pressure. How would they handle it? Where would they look? To whom would they turn? Now, when Israel failed, so Israel failed, and they were going to be conquered and they eventually got conquered so they got conquered in 722 remember isaiah starts in 739 bc 17 years later israel is over is overtaken by assyria and and now isaiah looks to judah and he tells judah don't do what you're thinking about doing now when you feel pressure and you get desperate what do you look for you look for anything to get the help you need right You look for anything. You get desperate. And so what does Israel do? Or what does Judah do in the south? The north is taken. What does Judah do now? They look to Egypt. Old Egypt. Weakened Egypt. Pathetic Egypt. Maybe a little bit stronger than Judah. But still no match for the superpower of Assyria. They look to Egypt and Cush. Maybe Egypt and Cush, below Egypt, can bail us out. From these Assyrians and the Assyrian invasion. They just took out our, our brother Israel. They're coming for us. We need help. Let's look to Egypt. And so Isaiah is saying, hey guys, hold on, stop. Like that sign there that nobody obeys. That stop sign back there It says don't go through that door on the left. You know, there's a chair there. Don't go through that door. Because there's no hydraulic. Stop. Don't go. Don't move. Stay, like Don't go to Egypt. Don't look to Egypt. You know who you can look to? God. Look to Yahweh. He can help and so that's his message for judah in his day and so with that all too short introduction to the book of isaiah for the next 45 to 50 minutes let's actually now look at the message of isaiah now here i think is the main goal of my sermon which i think is shaped by the message of isaiah so here's the main goal and I sent it to the church family by email and a few those who are thinking about joining our church. If you're a guest here and you don't have that and you'd like an outline, Ross, can you grab... That stack of paper, there's 10 sheets, that might not be enough, but if you could raise your hand, Ross, just go to the aisle right here. If you want an outline, we're going through the whole 66 chapters of Isaiah here, so you're going to need to follow along. Well, you don't need to, but it might be helpful to follow along. And if you could share with someone around you, that would be really helpful because we only have 10 copies. So just raise your hand and Ross will come around to you. So here's the main goal. You guys ready? Humbly and boldly wait on Yahweh. To save you. That's a shorter way of saying it. I'll say it the short way. Humbly and boldly wait on Yahweh. That's the name of God. It's God's personal name. His covenant name. Wait on Yahweh to save you. Now the longer version would be humbly and boldly wait on Yahweh, God, to save his people from ourselves and from our sin. For the coming new creation. So I'm adding something there. For the coming new creation through his servant for the coming new creation through his servant. And if you know Isaiah, we just sang about Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. So humbly and boldly wait on Yahweh, God, to save his people from ourselves and our sin for the coming new creation through his servant. Now there's two ways we're going to break down and feel this call to humbly and boldly wait on the Lord and not run to Egypt and not run to Cush and not run to whoever we look to and whatever we're looking to, to handle the pressure in our lives. There are two ways we're going to do it. Okay, Two reasons why we should wait on the Lord. Reason number one, verse, chapters 1 through 39, because God will righteously judge and say, but God will righteously judge is the main thing in 1 through 39. And number two, because God will graciously save and judge. But the point there is God will graciously save. Okay? Two reasons why we need to humbly wait for God, humbly and boldly wait for God to save us and not look elsewhere. Because God will righteously judge, chapters 1 through 39, and God will graciously save, chapters 40 through 66. All right, so let's look at this first one, because God will righteously save. And we're going to, um, I'll break this down with um, three, three kind of sections to get through, um, through the first 39 chapters. In chapters 1 through 12, heed God's strong and hardening word. You can just put strong word if you want for short. Heed God's strong word. Heed, I said heed, H-E-E-D, that's hear and take it in right? Number two, chapters 13 through 27, realize God's unstoppable judgment. And chapters 28 through 39, feel the terror of that judgment. If God is going to judge righteously, we need to hear God's hardening and strong word of rebuke. We need to realize that God's judgment is coming. That's what God, that's what Isaiah was saying. It's coming. It's, it's not stoppable. Nobody can stop God and he will judge for, for sins. And lastly, uh, for this first point is feel the terror Of that judgment. So let's look at these and let's try to sweep through. And I hope you could turn in your Bible fairly quickly. We're just going to be jumping around. I'm going to be pointing to verses here and there all over Isaiah. So in chapters 1 through 12, heed God's strong and hardening word. In chapters 1 through 5, we need to see our sin. Look at chapter 1, verse 3. The the people of Israel have rejected God. Look, in verse 3, the ox knows its owner and the donkey, its master's feeding trough, but Israel does not know. My people don't understand. They have rejected God. And later in the chapter, we read that they have useless prayers. They're going to church gatherings. We talk in New Covenant church gatherings. They're going to the temple. They're going to sacrifice to God. They're praying to God. They're obeying the festivals. And God says, I hate it. I hate your church gatherings. I hate your religiosity. I hate your prayers I hate your Bible reading I hate your meditation I hate you speaking my word on your lips they're useless because you don't care about your sin you put on the the form and the clothes of religiosity and righteousness but inside you're a liar you're a hypocrite stop it see your sin he calls them, and look at chapter 1, verses 16 and 20, which could be the, the main call of the whole book. I was struggling to figure out which, which verse is probably the main call of the whole book. There's a few, and this is this is one as, as good as any. Look at chapter 1, verse 16. Here's what God tells you to do if you're in this sin. Wash yourselves. Cleanse yourselves. Remove your evil deeds from my sight. Stop doing evil. Learn to do what is good. Pursue justice. Not just for yourself, but for the society. Pursue justice. Correct the oppressor. There are oppressors. There There's oppressive systems going on in the world. Correct the oppressor. Defend the rights of the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Do righteousness. Now there's a key to it, and that's verse 18. Come, let's settle this, says the Lord. Though your sins are scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are crimson red, they will be like wool. If you are willing to be obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword from the mouth of Yahweh. For the the mouth of Yahweh has spoken. So God is calling for repentance. He's calling for you to cleanse yourself of your sin. He's calling you to obey God and walk in His ways, not just for yourself, but for your family and your neighborhood and your society. And He's calling you to find cleansing from God so that you would be washed white as snow so that you could receive this prophecy. So look to God's mercy. And then chapter six, go to chapter six. This is the chapter that Aaron read for us. God sends Isaiah now to the speaking ministry and Isaiah's ministry is like... A person who is called... Look at his ministry in verse... Um, so he sees the holiness of God, and then his, his commission is in verses 9 and 10. Go and say to these people, Israel and Judah, keep listening, but tell them what? Not to what? Don't understand. Keep looking, but don't what? Don't perceive. And then Isaiah is saying... Isaiah, this is what you're supposed to do to the people. Make their minds dull. Isaiah, go to them and deafen their ears. Isaiah, go to their eyes and blind their eyes. Because if you don't, if you don't blind their eyes, Isaiah, and if you don't deafen their ears, and if you don't make their minds dull, otherwise they might see with their eyes, they might hear with their ears, they might understand with their minds, and they might what? Turn back and what? Be healed. That's a weird ministry. What is God saying? I don't want to heal them. Judgment is coming. I don't want them. I don't want Adam and Eve to stay in the Garden of Eden anymore. They need to get out of the Garden. Get out of the Garden. And now here's Israel in the land, and God and Isaiah's ministry is not turn them back. It's harden their hearts, blind their eyes, deafen their ears, make their minds dull as you speak the truth, so that I can judge them with the judgment that they deserve. Isaiah's ministry is like being on a ship that's sinking and he's not there to save the ship he's there to say hey the ship is sinking you're going to die now some of you could be saved there's a few life rafts here some of you will just go to it but you guys aren't listening to me anyways so just keep trying to figure out how to save the ship as the as ship sinks and people die Isaiah's ministry is to tell them that they're dying to, to tell them that they're dumb for dying and that they're unnecessarily dying but they're going to die anyways because they won't listen when God speaks clearly to them they don't care. And Isaiah accelerates this blindness. Now, there is a promise here at the end of it in verse 13. So they will be exiled. So, until when? How long am I supposed to harden them in verse 11? Until the cities are in ruins without inhabitants, houses are without people, the land is ruined and desolate, and, and the Lord drives away the people far away. Though a tenth will remain in the land, it will be burned again like the terebinth or the oak. That leaves a stump when felled. The holy seed is the stump. So go, there will be a holy seed, a stump, but um, they're going to be hardened. And that's your ministry. So maybe a question for us is, will you, as you hear a word like this, will you also be hardened? Or will you do what you're supposed to do when you hear this? Tremble. Look in the mirror and say, God, help me. Help me not to keep coming to church on Sundays and have a hard heart. Soften me. Help me to not become a professional sermon hearer. Or for me, a professional preacher who just keeps preaching week after week with no trembling. It's just routine. That's what we do. We go to church. I'm a member. That's what I'm supposed to do. No. Not if you're going to have a softer heart and eyes that see and ears that hear. You need God's grace. And so God says in chapter 7 through 12, don't fear Assyria. I'm going to use Assyria to judge Israel, and they're going to scare you in Judah. But don't be scared of them. They're my instrument. Yeah, you're scared of Assyria. They're that invasive superpower that's coming to you, Judah. Don't worry about them. They're my tool. I got you. I'm going to save you. They won't take over you, Judah. Just trust me. And there's promises there that God will use a Davidic son. Unto us a child is born, and unto us a, a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders and they will call him and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace and his government will know no end he will sit on the throne of david he will come from in, uh, in isaiah 11 1, he will come from the stump of jesse there's a the stump the stump is cut down They're exiled, but there's still a stump what's that stump the stump of jesse Israel's not completely cut off. They're not uprooted. They're just cut, but there's a stump. And from that stump, a shoot is going to come out. From Jesse, from David, a son of David, a king of Israel will come and will redeem God's people in the end. But for now, you need to heed God's strong and hardening word. Next, you need to realize God's unstoppable judgment versus our chapters 13 through 27. In chapters 13 through 20, we learn that God will judge and save the nations. Babylon's sin is pride. In 1311, look at 1311. We're going 13 through 27 now. 1311, I will punish the world for its evil. And wicked people for their iniquities, I'll put an end to the pride of the arrogant and humiliate the insolence of tyrants. You want to see a picture of pride, look at chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. This is a picture, if you're not a Christian, we're all guilty of pride, Christians and non-Christians. But if you're not a Christian, the main thing God holds against you is your arrogance, your pride, your self-exaltation as if you don't need God or you need God in your own way and you get to dictate who God is and how much God puts on you. And so here's a picture of pride in chapter 14, verses 13 and 14. You said to yourself, this is the king of Babylon, but it's a picture of us. I will ascend to the heavens. I will set up my throne above the stars. I will sit on the mount of the God's assembly in the remotest parts of the north. I will ascend above the highest clouds. I will make myself like the most high. I'm going to lift myself up. I'm going to be equal to God. I don't need God or God can be cool, and he could just chill there in the corner or chill beside me, but I'm at least as e- I'm at least equal to God, the most high. So we lift ourselves up in, in self-reliance, and we, we reject and ignore God in our sins. And so the nations will be judged, Moab, Damascus, Cush, Egypt, all of them are going to be judged, and a Davidic king will be exalted. In chapter 16, verse 5, it says a throne will be established in love, and one will sit on it faithfully in the tent of David judging and pursuing what is right quick to execute justice so this davidic king is going to come and execute justice because israel has tolerated judah has been comfortable and content with injustice and oppression in their society so the call here's a command in 16 verse 7 to the nations so here's an application what is god telling us was he telling the world therefore let moab what Wail! Let every one of them wail for Moab. Mourn over sin. Mourn over brokenness. Mourn over judgment. We deserve this. And the proper response is not excuses and negligence or dismissal. The proper response is mourning, is wailing. Blessed are those who mourn, Jesus said, for they will be what? Comforted. So don't look to other nations, chapter 20, don't look to other nations to save you or help you against Assyria. In chapters 21 through 23, other nations will eventually fall as well. Babylon, Edom. So uh, um, Babylon's going to come 100 years later. They're going to rise, but they're going to fall as well. Edom's going to fall. Jerusalem, Jerusalem's going to fall again in the future as well. So now, remember, Israel has fallen, Judah hasn't fallen, and Isaiah's prophesying in the future, Judah's going to fall as well. It's not just the north that's going to be exiled. They both have broken God's covenant. They're both going to be kicked out of the land, the promised land, just like Adam and Eve were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. So Jerusalem's going to fall. Why? Look at chapter 22, verses 8 through 14. Here we're going to get more instruction and rebuke for our own souls. 22, 8 through 14. 14. He removed the defenses of Judah. On that day, you looked to the weapons in the house of the forest. You saw that there were many breaches in the walls of the city of David. So here you are being invaded. You collected water from the lower pool. You counted the houses of Jerusalem so that you could tear them down to fortify the wall. You made a reservoir between the walls for the water of the ancient pool. So you did all of these things. You made a broad wall. You made a water canal so you could survive Assyria. But you what? You did not what? You did not look to the one who made it or consider the one who created it long ago. You did not give the credit to whom? To God. You didn't look to God. You looked to your own ingenuity. So, so what's, what's going to happen? Look at verse 12. On that day, the Lord Yahweh of armies called for weeping, for wailing, for shaven heads, and for the wearing of sackcloth. But look, you should be mourning and weeping. But what are you doing? But look at verse 13. What, 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 but look, what is there? Joy and gladness, butchering of cattle, slaughtering of sheep and goats, eating of meat and drinking of wine. Let's drink, let's eat, for tomorrow we die. The Lord of armies has directly revealed to me this iniquity, this celebrating when you should be mourning will not be wiped out for you people as long as you live. The Lord of armies has spoken. So here's Israel. They should be mourning over their sin. They should be mourning over judgment and yet they're celebrating and hanging out as if there's no big deal at all. And for that, God will judge them. So we, should, we need to check ourselves. How, how, are we, how, how seriously are we taking the sin of BBC, BBC members? Do you know our church failures? Not your own failures. Do you know our, our, our corporate failures? Do we take those seriously as a church family? Do you, as an individual member, take seriously our corporate failures as a church family? Do you take your own sin seriously? Do you take our, our society sin seriously? If you're, if you're a neighbor or a citizen of this land like I am, do we take our society's sins seriously? Not just your own sins, not just sins of other people in our society, but our sins as a, as a nation, as a land. Do we take our sin? Maybe you're not guilty of it, but, our, our, but as a nation we might be. Do you take that seriously and mourn and tremble? And then chapters 24 through 27, the whole earth will be judged and ruined now, there's this interesting contrast that I want to point out to you. Look at chapter 24, verse 10, and then 26, 1. Let's contrast 24, 10, and 26, 1. So the whole world is going to be judged. All right, in chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, the whole world is going to be judged. Although, yeah, the whole earth will be judged. God's going to scatter them all. But he calls the whole earth and all these nations, in verse 10, he calls them the what? In verse, chapter 24, verse 10. He calls all the whole world the city of what? The city of chaos is shattered. So there's a city of chaos. That's God saying, the city of confusion, the city of this world, the city of man, have you heard that before? The city of God and the city of man. The city of man, the city of this world, the city of confusion and chaos, they're going to be shattered. Don't hope in humanity. Don't hope in your church. Don't hope in your society. Don't hope in your leaders. Don't hope in humanity. There's a city of chaos. The city of chaos is going to be destroyed. But then contrast that with 26, 26.1, on that day when God delivers his people, on that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a what? Strong city. A strong city. Salvation is established as walls and ramparts. And why is this a strong city? Why will God's people be delivered? Verse 11 of chapter 26, Yahweh, your hand is lifted up to take action, but they don't see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be put to shame. Why will God's people be delivered? Because God has what for his people? Zeal. He has zeal for his people. So this, this chapters 13 through 27, realize that God is going to judge the world. It's unstoppable. And then now chapters 28 through 39, we're going to an, we're gonna get to story time here. The story of Hezekiah, which is uh, in chapters 36 through 39. But before that, we need to feel, and I hope you're already feeling it a little bit. You need to feel the terror of God's judgment. I mean, God is unstoppable I know I've been saying that but like do you do you realize what I mean by unstoppable like if all of humanity all 7.5 billion humans all tried with all of our technology and wisdom and smarts and degrees and research if we took all of our efforts to try to stop God's judgment how much do you think we could delay his judgment how, how long could we delay his judgment you think not at all not at all like you, there's nothing. If you took all of humanity from all time and took all angels and demons and put all of them together, and we had the power of all nature, right? We could be Avengers and X-Men and mutants and superpowers. If you just you took all of that and then you go against God. Like it's you're nothing. Like zero. There's not you don't you don't you don't stop God for even a millisecond. It's a wrap. It's over. Like it's he's unstoppable. Do you realize that? Like we cannot stop God. Do you feel the terror? of the fact that you have a God, there is a God, and there's nothing you can do to stop him. We need to feel this terror. And so to feel this terror, we need to know the sins, in chapters 28 through 39, we need to know the sins of God's professing covenant people. They profess to know God. yet You know what they do? uh, In chapter 28, they're guilty of drunkenness. They're hearing God's word, but they're getting drunk, and so they can't really even understand and interpret God's word properly. So 28 through 39 focuses on Israel and Judah now, not on the nations. They're drunk. They scoff and distort God's word. Um, They're content with empty religion. Look at chapter 29, verses 13 and 14. You've read these verses before in the New Testament. Jesus actually used these words. 29, 13, and 14. The Lord said, these people approach me with their speeches. They honor me with what? Or to honor me with what? lip service, yet their hearts are far from me and human rules direct their worship of me, therefore I will again confound these people with wonder after wonder, their wisdom of their wise will vanish and the perception of the perceptive will be hidden, again, blind eyes, deaf ears minds that don't get it that's the judgment because of your religiosity and your fake religion and your pretending to follow God So you need to, if you're going to feel God's terror, you need to deal with your own hypocrisy. In chapter 30, verses 10 and 11, look at what they say as they they look to the world for security and not to God. Here's what they say when the prophets say, hey, stop looking to Egypt. Stop looking to Cush. Look to God. Here's what they say to the prophets, verses 10 and 11. They say to the seers, those are prophets, don't see. And to the prophets, don't prophesy the truth to us. Tell us what? flattering things prophesy illusions get out of the way prophets leave the pathway rid us of the holy one of israel see that that's that's the bottom line issue we don't want god's word stop telling us what god says stop telling me about my sin stop telling me to repent stop convicting me tell me a lie Tell, tell me something i want to hear Can you be more encouraging? Be more encouraging. Or shut your mouth and just move to the side. Get rid of the Holy One of Israel. Give me one who's content with and tolerates sin. Give me a less Holy One of Israel. That's what they want. So they ignore God's counsel. They don't want to look to God to save them. They want to trust in the world. So God promises in chapter 34, verses 1 through 4. Look look at 34, 1 through 4. Let me just read these four verses. Here's judgment on the world. You nations, come here and listen. You peoples, pay attention. Let the earth and all that fills it here, the world and all that comes from it. The Lord is angry with all the nations, furious with all their armies. He will set them apart for destruction, giving them over to slaughter. Their slain will be thrown out, and the stench of their corpses will rise. The mountains will flow with their blood. All the stars of the sky will dissolve. The sky will roll up like a scroll, and its stars will all wither as leaves wither on the vine and foliage on the fig tree. It's talking about the cataclysmic end of the world. This is end of the world type stuff. I'm just going to kill everybody. Just judge everyone. Judge the world. So hear that and take heed. You need to feel the terror of God's judgment. And yet God promises salvation in chapter 35. I want to read all of 35, but I'm not going to for the sake of time okay? You need to read 35. I actually put here in my notes, this is, this chapter is so good in summarizing the fact that God saves us, so we need to take cur- encouragement in the salvation. And then verses 3 to 4 says, strengthen your weak hands. Take courage. Stop being cowardly. cowardly. Be strong and don't fear. God is coming and judgment's coming. He's going to get you. He's going to save you. Read chapter 35 for homework, but understand that God promises salvation, and it's a really good chapter. But I want to spend some time here on 36 through 39. If you're going to feel this terror of God's judgment, you need to see this in the life of Hezekiah. Okay? So story time with PJ. Okay? Chapters 36 through 39. We're going to... Let me just tell you the story here. You could read it later. I have verses here, but I'm just going to tell you the story. So there's two things, two parts of the story. 36 and 37 and 30 and 39. In 36 and 37, we see that God responds to humility. When you humble yourself before God, God responds to that. So remember, um, the North Israel was taken out by what country? What superpower? Not Babylon, but Assyria. And Sennacherib is their king. He's now breathing down the neck of Jerusalem. Same time, 722, he wipes out the north, and now he's going down south to Judah. He's taking out all the cities. He takes out all the cities except for the capital of Judah, which is Jerusalem, where the king is. So now they're surrounding Jerusalem, right? Sennacherib is there. He's intimidating them. He's got, Sennacherib's not there, but his, his soldiers are there. And the general's shouting out at and all the Israel soldiers, the Judah soldiers are on the wall. And he's shouting at them that we're going to kill you. We're going to, you're going to drink your own pee. You're going to eat your own excrement. You guys are going down. They're speaking in Hebrew. And then the guys on the wall are saying, hey, please speak to us in your language. We understand it. And he's like, no, I'm speaking in your language. I want everyone to hear this. Because people are behind the wall. You're what, what, What's happening? Pressure, right? Pressure is coming on you. Where will you turn? To whom will you look? So here's the Syrian army right at the gates, outside the wall. Hundreds of thousands of soldiers looking to invade the city and kill everyone and take them away. So not kill everyone, but take them, plunder them, and take away prisoners. So... um, They don't say anything. They they stay silent on the wall. King Hezekiah is there in Jerusalem, right? And he humbles himself before the Lord. He puts on sackcloth and ashes. He mourns and weeps, God, help, please, God. And then he, he takes two of his messengers, hey, guys, go to Isaiah and tell Isaiah to pray for us. So Isaiah goes and prays. Isaiah hears from the king, King Hezekiah, and Isaiah prays. And then Isaiah responds. He says, hey, tell this to the king. Tell him not to fear. God's got this. Now, remember, they wiped out all the cities. Israel's gone. The cities of Judah are gone. You're pretty much dead, Right? And Isaiah says, hey, go back to the king Hezekiah and say, God's got this. Don't worry about it. So Sennacherib pulls out for a little bit because he finds out that one of, his, one of the units needs more help. So they take, the, they take the, the army and they leave for a little bit. So now he gets a little bit of a break. So now they get time to prepare, right? So they pull out for a little bit. Hezekiah in chapter 37, he prays in verses 16 through 20. And God answers the prayer uh, with a word for Sennacherib that he's going to judge Sennacherib and a word of hope. So look at chapter 37. Um, 37 verse 23. It says, who is it that you have mocked and blasphemed? Oh, man i got to say this, so I'm just trying to summarize the story here. But when you read this, especially, remember how I told you how unstoppable God is? So here's a series. They're wiping out, they're wiping out everybody. And then they say, when they get to Jerusalem, they say, who's going to stop us? Your God? Who's your God? Yahweh? Who's that? He can't stop us. And I, as I'm reading, I'm like, dude, you, you, don't, you just cross the line. You don't go there. You went, you're the most powerful you know, army in the world, but you just, you just cross the line. You don't, you don't call out Yahweh, but they do. And I'm reading, I'm just like, oh, you guys, are, you're done. It's over, right? And so, so here's God, and he's rebuking them. He says in, in verse 23 of chapter 37, Who is it that you've mocked and blasphemed? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your, your eyes in pride? Against the Holy One of Israel? You have mocked the Lord through your servants. And then God says there in verse 26, this is all my plan. You know why you're conquering all these nations? This is my plan. I told told the prophets that you're going to conquer Israel. Like, you are my puppet. And so so they they come here and they start mocking Yahweh. And and, and so God says, um, I'm going to deliver them. And so here's what happens. They go away, right? Now they come back. And this was my, I went to Israel for four months and did a semester study abroad in 2001. And my favorite story of all the stories is like, there's still a part of the wall, it's called the broad wall, where um, the wall was torn down and we read about it in section. They filled it up with all the stuff they could, patched up all the wall and they made the wall look formidable, even though it wasn't. And then they, put this um, water the water line basically a canal into Jerusalem so that they wouldn't have to go outside the city for water so now they could they could um, withstand a siege with water in the city right so they do all that and um here here comes the Assyrian army they come back and remember they're talking all this mess they're even calling Yahweh out like we conquered all these lands with all these gods your god's not going to save you and so they're there and god gives us word and so one night, they're there camping, for, for, maybe for the next night to keep taunting or maybe go to war. And that night, God sends an angel of death and wipes out 185,000 soldiers. While Jerusalem's in there waiting, right, and the army's out there ready to come in. God just sends an angel of death and just kills 185,000 of them. And the rest of them just run, right? They run. They're gone. And so Israel, like, they wake up and they're out and like, where's the army? They're, they're gone. God, God took them out. They all like they just left, and they're short on food. All their plunder, all their tents. It's all there. It's all there for, for Jerusalem. And God just wiped them out. And so you see here um, that God, God, God came through on His promise. And so I'm there like in Jerusalem, like looking and you see the wall. You see all this like just basic trash and stuff. Like it's not a wall. Like if they start pulling rocks, the wall would just fall apart. You know, you could see you could see that there in Jerusalem, and it looked formidable. But God doesn't need that wall. He just wiped out, just wiped out the army. So what do you do when your back is against the wall? What did Hezekiah do? He humbled himself. He prayed. When he got a word from Isaiah that God's going to deliver him, did he trust God's word? Yes, he trusted God's word. He didn't call for backup. He didn't call for Egypt. He didn't call for Cush. He trusted God. And did God come through? Yes or no? Yes, yes he did. And so what do you do when your back's up against the wall? Now let's go to the second story. That was the first part. Now 38 and 39. This is Hezekiah's story part two. So not only does God respond to humility, God also responds to arrogance. And that affects not only you, but your your generation. So now Hezekiah Hezekiah is dying. He's on his deathbed. One of the things I I fear most, or not fear most, I kind of envision sometimes, what am I going to be doing on my deathbed, and how am I going to be trusting God? Here's Hezekiah, and this man has one of the worst deathbed deathbed situations ever. Hezekiah is on his deathbed, and he's bitter towards God. He's just bitter that he's dying, right? He's bitter that he's dying, and so he turns to the wall. Oh, no, Isaiah sends a word, says, hey, go tell Hezekiah to get his house in order, because he's dying. He's going to die. Yeah, Like that's the word from the Lord. He's going to die. Go tell the king that he's going to die. So Hezekiah, here's the word from Isaiah that he's going to die. The messenger comes. Hezekiah turns over to the wall and says, God, I served you faithfully all this time. Extend my life. And then Isaiah says, hey, he sends another messenger. Tell God that he heard your, tell, tell, uh, tell um, Hezekiah he heard your prayer. He's going to extend your life 15 more years. So answer prayer. He gets a 15-year extension on his life. And it's the worst 15 years of his ministry. He he would have been better off dead. Better off dying than doing what he did for the next 15 years. What happened? So Hezekiah gets his 15-year extension. He thanks God for the extension of life. And then then Hezekiah, then Babylon comes and sends a letter because they want to make an alliance to make sure that they're powerful against Assyria and Hezekiah welcomes Babylon come in come in and shows them the palace and shows them all the treasures of his palace and shows them all the treasures of the temple and and just wines and dines with Babylon and Isaiah said what are you doing? you're setting up an alliance for your security with Babylon? and so what Isaiah says is um, in chapter 30 this is chapter 39 now you can go to 39 um, he tells them this um He says, therefore, look, the days are coming, chapter 39, verse 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Everything in your palace and all that your predecessors have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing's going to be left. Some of your own children, your descendants, your grandchildren, who come from you, whom you father, your great-grandchildren, they will be taken away and they will become eunuchs. They're going to castrate them and put them in the palace. They'll become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon because you did this, because you made an alliance with Babylon. and so. Hezekiah would have been better off dead. But then Hezekiah's response, man, it makes my blood boil. So so Hezekiah gets his rebuke. You know what Hezekiah's response is? Look at verse 8. I hate, I hate reading this verse. It just makes me want to strangle Hezekiah. Uh, verse 8 says, Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. Why? Why do you say that? Why is it good? For he thought there will be peace and security during my lifetime. Oh, I just want to kill you. You know, like... like because he's like, well, okay, yeah, I showed that. I made an alliance. I guess God's going to judge my grandchildren, great-grandchildren, but not me. So, yeah, that's, oh, man. Yeah, Isaiah, that's a good word from the Lord. I just want to, man, yeah, I, I want to fight him. <laughs> that's what I want to do. So, um, so what, what do we learn here from, from this second part of Hezekiah's story? That God responds not only to humility, which was good. He also responds to pride with judgment. God speaks. And what was Hezekiah's, Hezekiah was arrogant, he stopped relying on God, and then when he got a rebuke, he was just being selfish, right? He only thought about himself. Instead of humbly responding, what he should have said was, even if that's the judgment, God, please forgive me, I'm sorry, even though it's going to happen, like, let this fall on me. Like deliver, like, deliver my grandchildren, let this fall on me, right? If I care about my kids and grandkids, let me take the judgment. He's like, no, nah, I'm good. Like, at least I'm, at least I'm free. You know, and there's that arrogance that even in the word of judgment, he's still arrogant. Um, And God, you know, I mean, I'm sure God will justly handle it. I don't need to do it. I can't do anything anyways. But uh, what we need to do is heed God's warnings and continue to seek God because God will respond to your arrogance. And you know what? What we learned from Hezekiah, your arrogance doesn't only affect you. You know who else it affects? Your household. It affects your church. It affects your descendants if God gives you descendants. It goes beyond you. You don't draw lines around the effects of your sin. Your sin affects those around you inevitably. It just does. We are creatures of community, and we will affect each other with our sin. Okay, so that's God will judge. Now we got 15 minutes for 40 through 66 with Isaiah 53. Let's, let's, let's try. Here we go. Um, so why should we humbly and boldly wait on the Lord rather than relying on others? because God will righteously judge. The second reason why we should humbly and boldly wait on the Lord is because God will graciously save. And in chapters 40 through 48, God gives hope. In 49 through 55, God invites you to the feast. And in 56 through 66, God foretells the end. So let me try to go quickly, especially through this first part. God gives hope. In chapter 40, wonderful chapter to read. You should read it again for homework. It's wonderfully edifying, but God is coming. Basically, hey guys, judgments coming but be comf- be comforted god has hope god has light god has life god has security for you god is coming to save and no one can stop me god says in isaiah 41:10 here's a good memory verse a fighter verse um, my kids memorized it when they were younger they probably forgot it by now isaiah 41:10 and 11 41:10 i mean i forget all the time i keep on memorizing it do not fear for i'm with you do not be afraid for i am your god I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will hold on to you with my righteous right hand. So God gives hope. And in Isaiah 42, God says, I'm going to send my servant Israel to bless the nations. Now does Israel faithfully, does a- Israel faithfully bless the nations on their own power? Yes or no? No, they don't. There's going to be need to be another servant because Israel's going to fail as a servant. But God will use Cyrus. God says, "Hey, you're going to be exiled to Babylon." Right? A hundred years later, after Hezekiah. But guess what? I'm going to raise up another king. This is the only king, by the way, in the Old Testament where God names who the Messiah is going to be. And you know who the the anointed one? God says, I'm going to raise up a Messiah, an anointed one, named King Cyrus. He's not even going to know who I am. But I'm going to raise him up. King Cyrus was the king of, anyone know? Persia, right? Medo-Persia. Persia, I think. Or the Medes. But when Babylon becomes a superpower, Babylon is going to be displaced by Cyrus and the Medo-Persian Empire, and they and Cyrus is himself going to rebuild Jerusalem, he's going to set free the exiles, he's going to say, everyone gets to go back home, and you guys need money to rebuild your temple, let me give you money, you need to rebuild your wall, let me give you support, and so King Cyrus is going to be the king that God says, 100 years from now, you're going to be exiled, 70 years after that, I'm going to raise up King Cyrus, chapter 45, and he's going to free you guys and bring you back, I am going to bring you back, there is hope, you're not kicked out of the land forever, there's the hope, okay? That's uh, 40 through 48. Now, so, so God gives hope, and then now in 49 through 55, God invites you to the feast. Look at chapter 55 now. Go to chapter 55. God invites you to the feast. Listen to the invitation in verse 1. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, and you without silver, come buy and eat. Now, you have no silver, but he tells you to buy. Come buy milk, wine and milk without silver and without cost. Why should you buy it? How much does it cost? It's free. Verse 2, listen carefully, carefully to me. Eat what is good. Verse 3, pay attention and come to me. Listen and you will live. Verse 3, I will make a permanent covenant with you on the basis of the faithful kindnesses of whom? Of King David. So here's the call again, verses 6 and 7. Here's the invitation to all of you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call to him while he is near. Let the wicked one abandon his way and the sinful one his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord so he may have compassion on him and to our God. And I love this, for he will freely what? Forgive. What's the call to? The call is to repentance, right? Come to God. You can have forgiveness in God. Come and feast. You don't need to trust other kings and other rulers and other things in this world for your happiness and your feast. Come to me in repentance and faith And I will give you the feast of all feasts. I'll make a permanent covenant with you on the basis of of David. Now, how is God going to redeem and forgive and make a covenant with Israel when they're stubborn, when they're a failure of a servant? How will he do it? Chapter 49. Go back to chapter 49 now. He will do it by them trusting in Yahweh's other servant. So Israel is a servant, but they're a servant who's going to fail. So God is going to send another servant, Isaiah 49.5. And now, says the Lord, says Yahweh, who formed me and made, and from the womb and made me his servant, to bring who back to Yahweh? To bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. So this servant can't be Israel because his mission is to bring Israel where? Back to God. For I am honored in the sight of Yahweh and my God is my strength. So this servant is going to bring Israel back, but not just Israel. How many of you have Israelite blood? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Hi. Hi. None of you, okay? So verse 5 doesn't help you if he's going to regather Israel, but verse 6 is for you. So this servant's not just going to get Israel. Verse 6, it is not, not enough for you to be my servant raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the, the protected ones of Israel. That's cool, and that's good and necessary, but I will also make you a light for whom? For the nations, for the, nations, for the Gentiles. To be my salvation where? Yeah. To bellflower. To bellflower to Southeast Los Angeles, all the way from Jerusalem, to the other side of the world. A bunch of Gentiles are going to gather together and call themselves Bethany Baptist Church. And you will be their salvation to the ends of the earth, to all people groups. This servant. Now, who is this servant? And how is this servant going to save Israel and save the Gentiles and be a light and salvation for the Gentiles? The answer is Isaiah 53. Go to Isaiah 53, the most, if you only read one chapter in Isaiah, this is the chapter you should read, Isaiah 53, right? 52, 52, 13 to 53, 12. The chapter is messed up. It should have went three verses earlier, the chapter break, but anyways. Okay, Isaiah 53, what do we learn here? And I have to summarize it. I wanted to read and go through this chapter slowly, but I'm not going to. I'm overviewing it right now. Okay, how is this servant going to save Israel and the nations. Answer in verse 3. So first he's going to be born. He's going to be, uh, he's going to be born. And then in verse 2, he's going to grow up. And he's not impressive. In verse 3, he's going to be what? He was despised and rejected by men. In chapter 50, verses 5 through 7. Now I'm imagining, you should do this when you read these chapters. Imagine Jesus reading this, getting ready for his death. When the disciples think he's just going to rule. Remember, he starts telling them, I'm going to die one day. It says in the scriptures, I'm going to die. I'm going to suffer and die. Look at 50 verses 5 through 7. Jesus meditated on Isaiah. Look at 50 verses 5 through 7. Imagine Jesus reading these verses when all his disciples think he's just going to take them straight to the top. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I did not turn back. I gave my back to those who beat me. I gave my cheeks to those who tore out my beard. I did not hide my face from scorn and spitting. How did he get the strength to do that? Verse 7. The Lord God will help me. Therefore, I, will not be, I, will not, I have not been humiliated. Therefore, I have set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. Wow. Imagine Jesus meditating on that. And then he's in the garden. We have a picture of that with light brown hair Jesus over there. Um, we need to get rid of that, by the way. But anyways, um, Jesus there in the garden and saying, let this cup be what? pass from me nevertheless not my will but what yours be done he prays it three times and god says no the third time and jesus is done let's go he sets his face like flint i'm doing this i'm going here i'm gonna i'm going to suffer and so he's rejected by men he's a man of sorrows and then in that rejection look at chapter go back to chapter 53 again in verses in verse 6 so he's he's pierced in verse 5 he's pierced because of our rebellion he's crushed for our iniquities punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds we all went astray like sheep we all have turned to our own way and yahweh has punished him for the iniquity of us all verse 10 yet the lord was pleased to what crush Crush him severely crush him severely now this crushing this crushing in chapter 63 verse 6 is a crushing of wrath. It says in chapter 63, verse 6, I crushed the nations in my anger. I made them drunk with my wrath and poured out their blood on the ground. I made them drunk with my what? Wrath. Getting drunk means you're drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking till you're filled with wrath. So here's Jesus, and what is he drinking? God's wrath. Look at Isaiah 51, 22 and 23. This is what the Lord says. Now, this is God speaking to the nations. This is what the Lord says. Yahweh, even your God, who defends his people, look, I removed... Oh, he's talking to Israel here. Look, I have removed from your hand the cup that causes staggering, that goblet, the cup of my fury. You, Israel, will never what? You will never drink it again. Why? Where's he going to put the cup? I will put it into the hands of your what? Your tormentors. Wow. The cup is for who? God's what? Enemies. The enemies of the people of God. That's what the cup is for. And so here, this is true, Verse chapter 51 is true, and yet the twist is that even the servant himself, to save Israel and to save the nations, the tormentors, who are supposed to drink the cup of God's wrath, Jesus drinks the cup for all those who will be forgiven. He takes the death, the penalty for sins, of you and me, on himself, on that cross. And then in the end of chapter 53, he's going to be exalted, so he's going to rise from the dead and be exalted and see his people. And guess who his reward is? It's you. It's me. Verse 12. Those that he receives, he's going to justify them in verse 11. They're going to be his portion. They're going to be his spoil because he interceded for them and he died for them. He took the punishment for them. Brothers and sisters, if you're a Christian, this is the gospel, right? That Jesus has taken your punishment that you deserve for your sin. He took it instead of you. You deserve not only to die physically, but to die in hell forever. Yet Christ drank the wrath of God for you and for me. If you're not a Christian, or if you think you're a Christian, but you're trying to earn your salvation by being a good enough Christian for God to save you, you're going to go to hell. That's not how you get saved. You need to trust in Jesus. Jesus. He's the only one who drank the cup of God's wrath to save sinners. And because we're sinners, our only hope is Jesus. And so the invitation of the section, verses, chapters 49 through 55, is come to the feast. Come to Jesus, the suffering servant, because he will bless his people and bless all the nations. And lastly, chapters 56 through 66. 56 through 66, this last part um, in God graciously saving, God foretells the end. God foretells the end. Now in chapter 61, Jesus actually quotes this. Look at chapter 61, verses 1 through 3. Before the end, Jesus quotes verses 1 and 2. The spirit of now Jesus opened. Now imagine Jesus. This is what Jesus did actually. He got into a synagogue. You roll up the scroll, and the scroll's actually already in a place. Maybe he looked for it, but you just read the next part of the scroll. Jesus opens the scroll. And then he reads Isaiah 61. And it starts here: The Spirit of the Lord God is on me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has set, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liber- liberty to the captives, and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What's the next word? And. and. But he doesn't go to and. He stops there. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he closes the scroll. Jesus closes the scroll there in the synagogue. I think this is in Luke 4. I'm not sure exactly, but from my memory, it might be Luke 4. And Jesus looks at everyone and says, Today. In your presence, in your hearing, this prophecy is being fulfilled. I am here to proclaim the year of jubilee, the year of freedom, the year of salvation to all. And it, but he doesn't go to, and the day of vengeance, because he's going to die and then here we are, the day of vengeance is still isn't here, right? We're still waiting for this final day of vengeance. But Christ has come and freedom is here for all. But the day of vengeance is coming. 61, 2 is still true. Even though he stopped right there in the middle of the verse, the rest of that verse is coming. But for now, we live in this this time where we're preparing ourselves, preparing our neighbors. We're sending members to Central Asia and missionaries, and we're praying for missions, and Peter's leading us to pray for missions across the world because we're still preparing and trying to gather all of God's people and be that light to the nations with the gospel because the end is coming and the day of vengeance is coming. But Christ has started to proclaim the year of Jubilee. We still proclaim that message of freedom until Christ comes. And then what's going to happen in the end? Look at chapter 65. Last two chapters, 65 and 66. 65, verse 17. Why should we um, trust God here and and look to God? For I will create a what? Why can we be confident that we're going to be saved in the end? I will create a new heavens and a new earth. For the past, what's um, Genesis 1-1? Read those Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the? heavens are in the beginning and here he says for i will create a new heavens and new earth just like god created the first universe he's going to create a new universe and if you read on chapter 65 it's not quite revelation language you're going to live forever it's just going to say you're going to live hundreds of years and then you're going to die you're going to be as old as a tree and then die i was like ah, oh, that's still messed up but it's it's old testament language that's pointing to this final new creation and, then, and Revelation just encapsulates it, which Aaron was supposed to read, but I changed it for the sake of more Isaiah. But you could read that later, Revelation 21 22. But here, there's going to be a new creation, and I love this. Look at chapter 66, 18 through 23. I preached, we're going to read the last few here. Let's just read the last verses of Isaiah here to kind of close out the book. Isaiah 66, begin verse 18. I want you to see that all the nations are going to be at this new creation, this new Jerusalem. Knowing their works and their thoughts, I have come to gather all nations and languages. They will come and see my glory. I will establish a sign among them. I will send survivors from them to the nations. Look at verse... um, End of verse 19, And they will proclaim my glory among the nations. That's what we're doing now. Verse 20, They will bring all your brothers from all the nations as a gift to Yahweh on horses and chariots, in litters and on mules and camels. And they'll bring them where? To my holy mountain Jerusalem, says Yahweh. Just as the Israelites bring an offering in a clean vessel to the house of Yahweh, I will also take some of these Gentiles as what? Priests Priests and Levites, says the Lord. For just as the new heavens and a new earth... Which I will make will remain before me. This is the Lord's declaration. So, your offspring and your name will remain. All humanity will come to worship me. By the way, offspring there, there's a part about eunuchs will have greater names than those who are married. So, I'm talking to you single people. Your offspring is those you disciple, those that you make disciples and lead to the Lord and disciple. You will have them as your offspring for all eternity. So, going back to verse 22 your offspring and your name will what? It will remain. All humanity will come and worship me. Come to worship me. From one new moon to another, from one Sabbath to another, says the Lord. This is the new heavens and new earth. People from every tribe and nation and people and language will come and worship God. And Revelation says, and the Lamb in this new earth. Amen? This is wonderful, and it's going to happen. So let us keep being about missions. Your, our work as a, as a missionary church with global missions and local missions, we have a mission that will not fail. People from every language group will come in the end. So we give our money and our time and even our lives for this mission. But the last part, I, 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 one more verse. It ends with a bad bad note here, but it's a judgment note. But we need to read it, verse 24. So here's the new heavens and new earth. But as they leave... And as they're in this new earth, this new Jerusalem, they will see dead bodies of those who have rebelled against me. And what's going to happen with them? For their worm will never die, and their fire will never go out, and they will be a horror to all humanity. Revelation picks this up and says that, so these people will be burning where? In the lake of fire forever and ever and ever under the eternal punishment and righteous wrath of God. A glorious ending for those who trust in Jesus Christ, those who wait humbly and boldly on the Lord. And a horrific, and you just, there's not enough language to communicate how horrific and terrible the wrath of God is for those who are apart from Christ forever and ever and ever. So to, let me close with some application. Sorry, guys, maybe five more minutes here. Let me close with some application. Look to Yahweh. Hear Yahweh proclaim, wait on the Lord, lean on Him, trust His promises. Look at Isaiah 40, 31, or I'll read it to you. You can turn there if you're fast enough, but if not, just listen. Isaiah 40, 31. Those who wait on the Lord, those who wait on the Lord or trust in Yahweh will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, they will run and not become weary, they will walk and not faint. So lean on Him, trust His promises, look to His final salvation. Dying is gain. It's better, Paul says in Philippians 1, I wish I was dead. It's better for me to be dead than alive, but I'm here because I still got work to do with you. Dying is gain. Christ's return is our hope. Actively wait by looking forward. We are almost home. This world is not our home. Isaiah 41.10, don't fear. Trust in God and fear him above your other fears and securities. Isaiah one seventeen. pursue Justice. Live a personally righteous and societally righteous life, pursue societal righteousness. And then maybe the biggest verse that I want you to close on. So let's close on this verse, Isaiah sixty six two. I'll pull some application from Isaiah sixty six two for you. Starting in verse one. This is what the Lord says Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where could you possibly build a house for me? And where would my resting place be? My hand made all these things, and so they all came into being. You guys can't build a house for God. He owns it all, right? So, so what do we do? Verse 2. I will look favor- favorably on this kind of person. One who is what? Humble. humble. Secondly, submissive in spirit or broken in spirit. Contrite has a broken spirit. And what? At Trembles at my word. God looks to the humble, broken-hearted, trembling person. To be humble means you're in your lowest place before God. You see God in his holiness. You see yourself in your sinfulness. You see God in his, You see yourself in your smallness and your limited power and temporariness. You see God infinitely powerful, and you just humble yourself before God. You're broken over your sin. You know you have no rights before God. You stop demanding from God and complaining to God as if you have some leverage over God. You got nothing before God. You're bankrupt and broken before God, and so am I, and that's a good place to be. Because then you can receive God's grace because he looks to you. And then they tremble at the word. We feel the weight of the authority of God's word on our lives. We don't just read the Bible and then have this fake or veneer of Christianity. This fake religiosity. We tremble at the word of God when nobody's looking. So brothers and sisters, keep hearing and praying for a humble heart that receives God's word. Keep remembering Jesus. When we take the Lord's Supper tonight... Don't take the... I mean, I know we have a good time and we we laugh and smile and catch up, but that's great. Let's do that. But let's still remember the death and resurrection of Christ with that bread and with that cup with a trembling of just praise God. I want you, Lord. I want to remember you. I want to keep living for you. Let's be a community that keeps hearing and deepening the hearing of God's word as we share life and share Jesus in our community. We are corporately responsible and privileged to heed the word of God and to celebrate and to share God's word and to remember the work of Christ together as a church family, specifically with the Lord's Supper. Children, when I was your age, I used to be like, man, the sermons are so long. And guess what? You get older and the sermons are still so long. But I remember thinking, when is Pastor Ed going to stop? Children, I'm sorry. (laughs) But let me say this as well. Um... We are preaching God's word to you because we want you to be humble and submissive in spirit and to tremble at God's word. And even if you just sit here and listen sometimes, maybe for five minutes, you're learning what it is to sit under God's word so that you can tremble and receive God's word regularly. So kids, good job. Keep hearing God's word and think about it. And if you're discouraged or you're stumbling or you're stuck in your sin, let me encourage you. God is calling you and moving you towards a deeper walk with Jesus through the message of Isaiah. Through you listening to his word, God is encouraging you. He's strengthening you. He's picking you up and he's softening you, even a little bit. So receive God's grace this morning. God is graciously initiating on you and move one step closer to him this morning. So you get pressure. Pressure is here. And pressure is coming to you and to us as a church. How will you handle it? To whom will you look? Where will you turn? Look to God and to look to God's passion. There's three verses that says God is passionate for his glory. God is passionate for Jerusalem. And I read you one of them in Isaiah 26:11. It really hit me during my week. God is zealous. God is passionate for you, his people, because of his glory in you. When I say God is passionate for you or he's zealous for you, I'm talking like God has, God has zeal for you like the zeal of people calling for justice to be served on those who oppress and murder their loved ones. God has zeal for you like the zeal of a man who's about to marry and unite himself to his wife and he can't wait for his wedding day. God has zeal for you like the zeal of a new parent holding their firstborn or their adopted child in their arms and the flood of love fills their hearts and every zealous bone and passion in their body wants to make sure that they do their best to make sure this child has everything they need for safety and flourishing. It's like God's zeal for you is like the zeal of a soldier deployed in war and now coming back home and overcoming all kinds of travel obstacles to get back home to his family. God is zealous for you. God is passionate for you. God loves you in Christ for his glory. And he will come and save us. So brothers and sisters, humbly and boldly wait for Yahweh to save you. To save us for the coming new creation through his suffering servant, Jesus the Messiah. Father, take these words and hide it in our hearts that we would not sin against you. Make this word a lamp to our feet and a light on our path, that we would not take the path of leaning on money or leaning on friends or leaning on other humans or leaning on society or leaning on, leaning on anything else when the pressure comes. We pray that you would light the path for us to look to you and to look to Jesus and to humbly wait on you and to boldly wait for you Because we know you will come through. And we know the new creation is right around the corner. Because Christ has already risen from the dead. And so we pray, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.